Lord has given me a gift. Only one. I am the most complete fighter in the world. Hello and welcome back to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. As always, I'm Mike Scott, your host on this deep dive through the career of one of the most exciting action stars of all time. This week, we're back on chronological track, jumping back forward to 2003 to talk about the second film in which Adkins worked with Jackie Chan, The Medallion. To help work our way through the film, I'm bringing on a very special guest this time, my best friend Jeff Paulson from the Two Strike Noise podcast. Jeff's primarily a baseball guy, but our friendship goes back 25 years, and during that time, we've watched more action movies than we can count. You'll hear us talk about how I introduced him to Hong Kong cinema, and so I couldn't think of a better person to talk this mid-era Jackie movie with me. When we last left Adkins, he had just completed the terrific Special Forces when he was invited to work with the Jackie Chan stunt team one more time, this time in a more highlighted role, rather than the stunt work he'd been doing in Accidental Spy. He gets to have a pretty terrific fight with Jackie in the film, which also leads to a great story that you guys will get to hear about later. Because, as always, I'll be talking to Scott later this episode about his experience on The Medallion and why it's one of his very favorite film experiences. In the year of the snake, a child shall be chosen, and at his touch, a reborn shall be endowed with extraordinary supernatural powers. A hidden treasure, protected by a young guardian, stolen Bring me the boy. by a master of evil, and pursued by an unlikely hero. Inspector Eddie Yang. Satisfied? You've only been here five minutes. Now, an ordinary detective. I think this belongs to you. Half for me has been given extraordinary powers. Cool. He's still moving, speaking, thinking, fighting. Annoying. Sorry. This summer, follow the mystery. Fight the enemy. And find the medallion. Run for your lives. Jackie Chan, the medallion. Ready for round two? The Medallion is directed by Gordon Chan of Fist of Legend fame with action direction by absolute god Sammo Hung. The film was written by Bennett Davlin, Alfred Chung, Gordon Chan, Paul Wheeler, and Bay Logan. In addition to Jackie and Scott, the film stars Meet Joe Black's Claire Forlani, There's Something About Mary's Lee Evans, Bodyguard from Beijing's Christy Chung, Arachnophobia's Julian Sands, and Hong Kong legend Anthony Wong. Stunts are by the usual members of the Jackie Chan stunt team, including Brad Allen and Nikki Berwick, who we happen to just see in Extreme Challenge. 
The medallion stars Jackie as Eddie Yang, a Hong Kong cop who has to team with a borderline incompetent Interpol agent played by Evans and his ex-girlfriend, another cop played by Forlani. They have to rescue a child from the clutches of the evil snake head played by Sands. The child, played by Alex Bao, is in possession of a mystical medallion that can give its wearer superpowers. This leads to a combination of classic Jackie action and CGI-assisted fights, something that up to this point we hadn't really seen from him before. Jeff and I will talk about whether that's a good thing or not. The medallion comes in the middle of the same period I talked with Rob Antiquera about when we talked about Accidental Spy. Jackie was starting to show his age at this point, and the films just weren't up to the same quality as his earlier output. Jeff and I will talk more, but of the two, Accidental Spy is definitely the better film. The medallion is harmless enough, but it's instantly forgettable and a far cry from Armor of God. What is more interesting is some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on the film. Originally conceived as a film called Highbinders, the film was entirely a Hong Kong production. Budgeted at 35 million US dollars, it was at the time the most expensive Hong Kong movie ever. The film would have had an entire subplot detailing how anyone in possession of the medallion would become a being known as a highbinder, and rather than just seeking immortality as he does in the actual film, Snakehead was trying to create an army of evil highbinders. It had a bigger scope and scale than the superhero light version we got. The film was originally supposed to clock in at 108 minutes, not the 88-minute rush job that the final product ended up. While the film was a Hong Kong production, Columbia TriStar bought the distribution rights basically worldwide and mandated several cuts, including removing the entire Highbinder plot. Because of the cuts, the film had to be reworked, including overdubbing several scenes. The studio brought in Highlander Endgame's Douglas Arnie Okoski to reshoot scenes and re-edit the film. Unlike Accidental Spy, though, there is no complete version of the medallion. The 88-minute cut was the only one released. If you have the DVD or the Blu-ray of the medallion, you can actually see several of these deleted scenes. I've watched them, and honestly, I'm not entirely sure the film would have been improved with the additional stuff, but I still don't like the idea of a studio completely reworking a film after the fact, though admittedly, sometimes it does have to be done. I will say, in those deleted scenes, there's a pretty damn funny scene where Jackie causes Scott's head to shrink like he's in Beetlejuice. If you want to see an itty-bitty Adkins head on a big Adkins body, make sure to check out the DVD or the Blu-ray. Another fascinating thing is that the film actually stopped production so Jackie could go film The Tuxedo, a film that I am very glad I do not actually need to talk about for this show. This isn't quite as unusual as it may appear, as during the heyday of the Hong Kong cinema golden age, actors would frequently film more than one movie at a time, kind of jumping from production to production as there were pauses and starts throughout. But I have to think it couldn't in this case have helped the production of the film, because unlike those movies, which were cheap, indie, made on the fly, this was a major glossy production. And... Those typically don't stop in the middle (laughs) for an actor to go film something else. Although I know some of you are going to say, well, Castaway did it. Yes, Castaway did it. The medallion is not Castaway. 
With its budget of $35 million, the medallion barely broke even worldwide, and that, coupled with the tuxedo, really drove home the point that some of the shine had worn off Jackie's luster. Let's talk about some of the people involved in the movie. Alright, the big one is Sammo Hung. I'm not going to spend really any time talking about Sammo, not because he doesn't deserve it, but because quite the opposite. He's deserving of an entire podcast by himself. I don't even know how to begin to tackle his career. I probably will do a dedicated Sammo Hung episode at some point, but The Medallion's really not the movie where I want to spend time going over his career because there's some other things I want to highlight, and like I said, he deserves his own episode. So instead, let's talk about Gordon Chan for a minute. Born in 1960, Chan is a writer and director known for making some of the most popular Hong Kong films ever. He never achieved the status of a John Woo or a Johnny Toe, but he typically turns in good workmanlike product. When he's working from a good starting point, we get something like Jet Li's Fist of Legend. When he's not, we get something like The Medallion. Chan is never going to be the guy that's going to elevate a bad script into a great movie, but if you have a good script, he's going to give you a good to great movie. He first found his big success teaming up with Stephen Chow on the Fight Back to School series, an entertaining enough series of comedies where Chow plays an undercover cop who has to go back to high school. There's nothing exceptional in them, but they're fun enough and they do give Chow a chance to show off his patented brand of silly. If you haven't really ever gone back to classic Stephen Chow comedies, there's definitely a lot there to check out because... The translation humor doesn't translate well necessarily across languages, but his ability to uh, engage in physical comedy is something that I think is just terrific and everybody should check out. The movie that I really want to take the time to highlight is a 1998 film Chan co-directed with Dante Lam, Beast Cops. Beast Cops is a straight kick in the nuts. It is a cold, nasty movie that fills in direct contrast to the more colorful films Hong Kong was producing at the time. Beast Cops stars Anthony Wong, who we will talk about more in a second, and Sam Lee as Hong Kong cops in deep with the triads. Wong's tongue believes that staying close with the triads helps him keep the streets safe no matter the cost, and that doing that means making hard choices. He clashes with a new supervisor, Chung, played by the almighty Michael Wong, a straight-laced, by-the-book officer. I don't really want to get any more into the plot, but unlike the heroic bloodshed genre made popular by John Woo, there's no romantic notions of loyalty and honor in the Beast Cops world. There's only doing what you have to to survive. It's as cold and nihilistic as films get, and I absolutely love it. And I'm not the only one. The film basically swept the Hong Kong Film Awards with wins for Best Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actor, and Screenplay. It is, no question, one of the best films of the Hong Kong Golden Era, and one everybody should seek out. But you don't have to just listen to me. As usual, when talking Hong Kong films, I like to bring in Ross Chen, aka Kozu, from Love HK Film, and see what he had to say. As always, I'll link to his review in the show notes. Kozo says, Compelling, entertaining action drama that features a stunning lead performance by the wild man of Hong Kong cinema, Anthony Wong. This simply terrific action drama shows that Hong Kong cinema isn't dead yet, 
Writer Chan Hing Kai and Gordon Chan, co-directing with Dante Lam, take their usual cop soap opera a step further with this take on the darker side of cop life. Anthony Wong owns the entire film with his tour de force's tongue. Easily one of the best films of 1998. I can't say it better than Kozu does. Beast Cops is terrific. And this gives us a perfect segue into talking about Anthony Wong. Wong plays Lester, Snakehead's right-hand man in the medallion. He's sort of his corporate guy. He's fine, and I always get excited when he shows up. But if this is your first or only experience of the hurricane of awesome that is Anthony Wong, it does not do him justice. Wong is hands down one of my favorite Hong Kong actors, starring in multiple classics. He's cultivated a reputation as sort of a crazy actor, relishing every role with scenery-chewing glee. Born in 1961, Wong burst onto the scene playing the villain in John Woo's classic Hard Boiled. From there, he just seemed to hit one classic role after another. Perhaps his most famous one is his award-winning starring role in Herman Yao's 1993 thriller, The Untold Story. If you've never seen The Untold Story, the less I say about it, the better. But if you are into non-mainstream, fairly hardcore movies... It is a good one to check out. The film follows a police investigation into Wong's character, a restaurant owner selling delicious pork buns with a quote-unquote special ingredient. Disturbing, upsetting, but always compelling. The Untold Story is one of the absolute greats of Hong Kong cinema. In a sleepy port town in Macau, on the southeast coast of China... The gentle town folk are about to awake to an unimaginable horror. The local police are doing their best, but who could have ever guessed the delicious secret? Critically acclaimed. An instant cult classic. Written by and starring Danny Lee, star of John Woo's The Killer. And starring Hard Boiled's Anthony Wong in the riveting performance that earned him the 1993 Hong Kong Film Award for Best Actor. Creepy. Demented, darkly witty, thrilling, and 100% fresh, based unfortunately upon real events. I could just read a list of movies that Wong has starred in that are all-timers, but I'm just going to give you a couple more, namely The Mission and Exiled. Two of his collaborations with Johnny Toe. Wong frequently works with the same directors over and over again. The two big ones being the aforementioned Herman Yao and the great Johnny Toe. Both The Mission and Exiled harken back to the heroic bloodshed genre, but again with that more cynical worldview that 
we started to see in late 90s Hong Kong movies and especially in Johnny Toe movies. Toe likes the concept of heroic bloodshed, but he's not as enamored with the romanticism of it as some of the previous directors before him were. What I will say is basically, if you see a Johnny Toe movie and Anthony Wong is starring in it, that is a movie that you should watch. The other actor of note that I want to talk about in the medallion is the luminous Christy Chung. I'll admit, Jeff and I get a bit thirsty in this episode when talking about her and Claire Forlani, but she has long been one of my favorite Hong Kong stars. She is also quite honestly one of the most beautiful actresses to ever grace the screen, sharing rarefied air with the likes of Audrey Hepburn, Monica Bellucci, Michelle Yeoh. She's just stunning. Born in Montreal in 1970, Chung moved to Hong Kong to launch a career in modeling and acting. She first appeared in Wong Jing's Perfect Exchange, and then in the uh, kind of unfairly maligned sequel, Bride with White Hair 2, where I think she's actually the standout of the movie. She really burst onto the scene, though, co-starring with Jet Li and Corey Yun's Bodyguard from Beijing, written by the aforementioned Gordon Chan. A member of an elite corps of highly trained bodyguards. The witness to a brutal murder. Both risk it all to put a Hong Kong crime lord out of business for good. <laughs> International action superstar Jet Li. Loosely based on the Kevin Costner film, The Bodyguard, Bodyguard from Beijing sees Lee's mainland cop assigned to protect Chung, the girlfriend of a wealthy businessman and the only witness to a murder that appears to have ties to the Chinese government. Lee and Chung have fantastic chemistry together, and Yen brings his A-game to the fight scenes. The final fight involving Lee and Colin Chu fighting in a house filled with gas has to be seen to be believed. Chung followed that up with the fairly well-acclaimed Thai drama Jandara and the Tibetan drama Samsara. She also starred in Tai Chi 2, a.k.a. Tai Chi Boxer, with future superstar Wu Jing, the film that would bring him to the screens for the very first time. If you want to see the origin of the Wolf Warrior, you really owe it to yourself to check out Tai Chi 2. Chung would continue to work fairly frequently throughout the years, uh, with her most recent role being 2019's Fall in Love at First Kiss. For me, though, she's never better than she is on Bodyguard from Beijing. Again, apologies in advance for the thirst on this episode. Alright, enough of that. Let's talk about the man himself. Adkins plays one of Snakehead's henchmen, and the, his role could really only be described as featured henchman. He's a pretty great fight at the harbor with Jackie, and they get a rematch with him in the climax. As a henchman, Adkins doesn't get to do much to stretch his acting muscles, but he's definitely more of a presence than an either accidental spy or extreme challenge. He also gets to look cool as hell, rocking a sweet red leather jacket. I know for Scott, this was a pivotal movie in his career and an essential confidence booster for him. So, rather than tell you the story, let's just kick it over to me and him, and you can hear him tell the story himself. 
so based on when you're telling me Black Mask was filmed, because it takes a, a year or two to, to actually get released. Yeah, it looks like... So 2003, you pick up, you know, and I'm not sure the order in which you filmed these. These are the years they released, but we've got EastEnders, your stint on EastEnders, the medallion, and then obviously one that I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about is Special Forces. And those all kind of come out the same year, but I'm not sure the order in which you film them all. I'm not sure either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like um, Unleashed, Danny the Dog, was later than what people realized. So I think what it was is I didn't do anything for a while. I think I got EastEnders. Oh, no. When was so uh, what, what? The medallion, I think, was 2003. Three. And that's when it was released. Uh, that's when it was released. Okay, so probably 2002 we shot that. Okay. 2002. Um, the film is set in Dublin. So the first, they, the beginning of the summer, they brought me out to Dublin. Um, they had requested me, uh, you know, Jackie Chan. I don't know if it was Jackie Chan that wanted me or, or who wanted me, but they wanted me. And it was Sam Hung was the, the fight coordinator. I'm very happy to be there. And I went to Ireland for a bit and we did that first sequence where I smashed the window and I come in and I go off in a helicopter. And then there was a pause in production because Jackie Chan went and shot the tuxedo. And then when the tuxedo was finished, I think around that time I may have done, uh, yeah, Mutant X just before that. And then when the tuxedo was completed, we all went to Thailand to shoot the rest of the medallion, which at the time was called High Binders. And I have to say that my time in Thailand making that movie was the best time I've I've ever had uh, on a film set. I was with a load of English lads out in Bangkok. We had, you know we had a great time. Aside from filming with Jack Chan, all the rest of it, we were in a, a lovely hotel, and uh, we just had had a blast. It was great fun. And you know, and you're getting to work with Sammo Hung. You know, you've already worked with Jackie, but now you're also getting to work with Sammo Hung, which had to be equally as kind of impressive again for a, for a young lad still working his way through. Yeah. So I'll tell you a quick story. There's the little fight sequence on the ship in the shipping yard. And it was said to me that you're going to go up against Jackie Chan. Now, Uh, if you do a good job, you're probably going to be the the main villain at the end of the film. So make sure you do a good job. I was like, okay, this is it. This is, this is my time to shine. Got to make sure I do a good job. There's a little bit of choreography there where I throw some hands with Jackie and I've got to back kick him in the chest. He blocks it with his arm. I think it was in the chest. He ended up blocking it with his arm. Um, But I remember, you know, it was Jackie Chan and I was a bit timid with him because, you know, you're going to do a spinning back kick. You don't want to land with too much force because then I'd be in a lot of trouble. It's Jackie Chan. So it was a bit soft on the first take. And I remember Samo shouting from, from over there, Hit him harder, more power. And then one of the Jackie Chan stunt, stunt team come up to me and he looks me in the eye and he goes, you be careful. But <laughs> <laughs> these guys are on me, on me if I do a bad job here. If I, if I hurt, if, imagine if I kick Jackie Chan in the face, I'm going to be shamed in the outtakes at the end of the movie and I'm going to have these guys on my case. But if I don't hit him hard enough, Got Samo hung over there, and we we've all heard about how Samo can be on the set sometimes. 
Um, I don't want to upset him, so I'm really stuck in the middle here. I've got to keep everyone happy. Uh, but on take number two, I managed to do it, and it looked powerful enough, yet it wasn't powerful enough to hurt Jackie Chan. Not saying that he would have been bothered, you know, he's Jackie Chan, but these are all the things that were going through my head. And I gave a very good account of myself and everything they expected of me, I delivered and I got them done uh, within, you know, not many takes. And I do remember that day, having finished that fight, being on that boat, looking up, looking across the sea, just thinking, ah, oh, you've done it, Adkins. Good for you, mate. You, you were tested and you've, uh, you've passed with flying colours. And I have to say, honestly, apart from my kids being born and things like that, that's one of the best days of my life because it was a real test and it was everything that I had been trying to get to. I mean, yes, I had aspirations to be an action star myself and be in Jackie's position, but at that point, it was just about being in this situation where they were expecting something of me and did I have what it takes uh, to be as good as I hoped I could be? And it turned out that I did. So that was great. Yeah, I mean, you're asked to step up to the plate and you step up to the plate and you do it. That That, that is a, I've certainly never had, you know, impressed Sammo Hung or Jackie Chan, but I think a lot of people can, you know, kind of relate to that, those times when you're tested. And I don't think most people are able to actually step up to the plate. So when you do. I learned about myself is that when the pressure is put on me, physically, I will deliver you can stack all the cards against me, all the odds against me, but physically, if it's martial arts or, you know, jumping or gymnastics or whatever, physically, I always rise to the occasion. But when I get pressured um, emotionally or mentally, um, I don't do as well. But if it's anything to do physically, I, I always rise to the challenge. Which I don't, think that maybe there's a little bit I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that after that that moment we start to do see you know some more things kind of moving in your career Jeff and I also spend a bit of time talking about EastEnders which I of course asked Scott about so let's also hear what he had to say about his time on one of the most popular shows in UK history so EastEnders mega show in the UK, like one of the biggest shows ever. You have a a stint on that show. Uh, tell me about how that came about. I auditioned and in those days you would go to an audition for the BBC and they wouldn't give you the, the lines to learn beforehand. You would be given a piece of paper and you'd have like 15, 20 minutes to look at it and it would be a scene. And then you'd have to go in and, and read the scene with the casting director. Uh, I always felt that was a bit strange because, well, some people are very good at sight reading and um, there's little tricks that they can do to be good on the day. Um, and I was always, always terrible at that. So I, I really struggled. I liked to have the lines in my head, only then did I feel like I could perform it well. Um, but anyway, that aside, this particular time I, I, I did well and they, they gave me the part. And yeah, EastEnders is massive. Now, I completely messed it up. I completely blew it. And this was, I think I needed to blow it because I needed um, a kick up the bum at that point to become a better actor. I was taking things for granted. 
And uh, I remember going to my first day of work on EastEnders. I remember stopping in at the petrol station to, to fill up and get some, some chewing gum. And I remember looking at the, the newspapers and it, all of it was EastEnders. EastEnders was on the front page of every uh, newspaper there was. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I've bitten off more than I can chew. <laughs> I'm not ready. And that confidence thing got to me again, that confidence thing. And it started to weigh me down. And I was terrible in EastEnders absolutely god awful and uh it was a laughing stock i was so embarrassed when those episodes came out i was crap but it gave me the kick up the bum that i probably needed at that point and i said to myself you know listen mate because things were starting to change the video market was already dropping out i could you already feel that things were changing the night from the 90s and the 80s and i I remember saying to myself you know if you're going to do this if you're going to make it um, you've got to be a better actor. You've got to get on top of this confidence problem that, that I had. Which is, you know, contrasting that with what you just said about the medallion, it it is interesting to me because, you know, you're at yeah. this point, all the years of training, all the years of, of working out and doing martial arts, it's like physically you're kind of a machine at that point. That is That is a well-oiled machine. But then, yeah, you've got... What I think some people would say is a much, I don't want to say much easier role, but, and I wasn't able to actually see the episodes, but I was able to see some compilations on YouTube, you know, of you working as a bartender and, and some of your... Oh well, yeah, my, my backside got more dialogue than I did. I mean, <laughs> they obviously had their own idea of, of what they were trying to do, but... Yeah, and they so- wasted they wasted no time getting your shirt off. I noticed that. There yeah. was like zero wasted time getting your shirt off in that. And of course, that's one of the reasons why I got the job, I guess, because I had good physique. Um, but yeah, uh, th- definitely that part could have been expanded to have become a regular now... In hindsight, do I want to be a regular in EastEnders? No, I don't. But at the time, I felt like that would have really helped me. Um, but yes, it was the confidence problem. I had had a problem with confidence. To be up there in front of people and having people, everyone's looking at you and you're meant to perform. I would withdraw into myself. It was something I needed to overcome. Once again, thank you so much to Scott for graciously taking the time to talk to me about his experiences on the medallion and EastEnders. All right, I think that is enough background on the medallion. Let's get into it with this week's champion, my friend Jeff Paulson. Quick note, as I was editing this, I realized I lost a few minutes of audio. Basically, you miss me introducing Jeff and talking about his podcast, Two Strike Noise, a baseball history podcast. We do talk about that at the end of the episode as well. I will also have links to his show in the show notes as well as his Twitter feed. We pick right up after I ask him what got him into action movies, and he mentions that Die Hard was the first real action movie that turned him into an action fan. We're going to pick right up in the middle of that conversation. I am very, very sorry about this. It was a technical... I... Folks, it wasn't a technical fault. I forgot to hit record. It happens sometimes. I apologize. I hope you all will forgive me for this transgression. But nonetheless, you get 97% of our conversation. I just wanted to be upfront and honest with all of you. So now, let's bring on our champion, Jeff Paulson. So what are we waiting for? Bring me your fucking champion. 
you know, went to them. I, I'm of the age where I saw all three in the theater originally, the original trilogy. And I loved that stuff. But I remember, I remember exactly the friend's house who I was at. We didn't see it in the theater. We rented it on VHS from Video Verns, which I know you know what that is. And um, we watched Die Hard and it blew my mind. And I just, I, I still will watch Die Hard once or twice a year. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a classic Christmas movie. So I'll, I'll watch it again coming up here in the near future. But that really defined action for me and really kind of changed the way I looked when I wanted an action film of what I looked for. And uh, boy, yeah, I just, just thinking back on that, Die Hard, just, I loved it. And then, you know, Arnold and Arnold and Sylvester Stallone came along. I was always an Arnold guy. Um, I, I know you love Sylvester Stallone, but I was always an Arnold guy. And then uh, I guess we can get into when when I met you and you kind of gave me homework and expanded my horizons. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I think Die Hard, especially people of call us call it our vintage Jeff and I are both old y'all. Uh, but I think Die Hard is a, is a seminal movie for, for most people. Uh, you know, certainly it was for me, although I will admit much to the chagrin of a lot of people listening and I don't want to have to turn my action card in. I have grown less favorable towards Die Hard. It, it's not, I'm not saying Die Hard's a bad movie. It's a great movie. It's a classic. I just, for me over the years, it's become a little bit less of a movie that I like to revisit. I don't know if part of that is just simply because the diehard formula there. I've been pretty upfront about this, that for me, speed is the best version of the diehard formula for me. And so I would, I feel the way about speed that a lot of people do about diehard. That's a movie I watch once or twice a year. I absolutely love it. I also think that some of the diehard sequels have perhaps lessened my joy and I'm going to be very upfront that I think the last 15 years of Bruce Willis's career has really lessened my joy watching Die Hard, um, although I should probably watch it more because it's nice to see what he's like when he's awake. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 Die Hard's a seminal movie. So many of us are big action fans because of it. And, and so I think that's that's perfect. Yeah, let's talk about, so I remember, not that, Everybody listening wants to hear us stroll down memory lane, but I certainly remember us. We were working together when Rumble in the Bronx, either shortly before or after Rumble in the Bronx had come out in theaters, and we were talking about it. And that, if I remember right, was kind of like your first Jackie Chan movie. Absolutely. Uh, yep. And uh, and so I, before we get into some of the other filmmakers we'll talk about, I uh, I hooked you up with some other Jackie Chan stuff, but tell me a little bit about if you remember seeing Rumble in the Bronx that first time. How did that movie make you feel? It was so different than anything I had experienced before because I was completely oblivious to Hong Kong action, Jackie Chan, John Woo, Chow Yun-Fat, you know, any of that, completely oblivious. I knew who Bruce Lee was. That was like the extent of any sort of Asian, uh, you know, Kung Fu movies or Asian, you know, Hong Kong action, anything like that. It just, it was, you know, well, I guess I grew up the same as you, essentially. <laughs> A lily white kid in Salt Lake City. But you, 
somehow were exposed to this. I was definitely not until I met you. And that was the first the first Jackie movie I saw. And I remember, you know, thinking that when I was watching it, I thought, well, this is kind of corny, but I really like it. I've never seen anything like it. And for him to be able to, you know, kind of weave comedy and, and action together. And of course, the big draw to that was for people like me that didn't know Jackie was, oh my God, he does all his own stunts. This is this is him doing these things for real. It really blew my mind. And, you know, of course, the 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 do you call it a gag reel when he's getting hurt at the end, you know, to over credits, um, you know, to see that stuff and see that it was real and that he did some of the stunts with a cast on his foot because he broke his ankle or whatever doing doing some of those stunts really impressed me. And I remember I actually, you know, went back and saw it a second time while it was still in the theater, which is just something I didn't do very often. So, I mean, that was... It, it was a great start. And then to have somebody like you to kind of like push me along and show me more was was great. And that's where where Hong Kong cinema and I first met. Yeah. And for people who don't, you know, who've listened, you know that this was around the same time that the almighty Tai Singh video was in existence and they were importing videos and laser discs. And so I would buy them from I would import them through Tai Singh and especially the laser discs and Jeff and I would engage in the old sneaker net. I would rip them to VHS and, and loan them to you and you'd check them out. I'm trying to remember all the Jackie ones I loaned you. I think I loaned you armor of God and police story. And mm-hmm. then of course this was also at the time when he was starting to, you know, show up all the time in theaters. So you could see armor of God too. in addition to his American stuff like rush hour, you could see armor of God too in the theaters and Mr. Nice guy and, and a bunch of those kind of movies that were so, you know, it really was a, a great time to be a Hong Kong fan um, or especially a Jackie fan. Now we do also have to talk about the other filmmaker that I introduced you to that I will be proud of until the very day I die. I was your John Woo hookup. You, you were definitely, you, you like the Jackie was uh, was what I don't I don't know what gateway drugs are I don't know what the gateway drug is but Jackie was it and then you eventually you know got me on the hard stuff the John Woo Chow Yun Fat uh, and and I remember when you sent me home with the killer uh, I watched that probably three or four times in the first week. And I still list that as probably my favorite action film of all time. I just, I love that movie. It is just, it's so woo and it's so good and it's so violent. And it's just, it's, uh, it's like a ballet with guns. Uh, I just, oh my God, I love that movie. I, I will, I will be indebted to you forever for showing me the killer. Happy to spread the love, my friend. We were also lucky enough, you know, and people listening have heard me talk about this theater before, but we were lucky enough that this was when the tower here in Salt Lake was also doing midnight Hong Kong movies on a fairly regular basis. You know, I I saw several there, but I remember you seeing a couple with me. I'm pretty sure we saw the original Drunken Master there at midnight. Yes. Yep, that was great. And the one that I actually just had occasion to think of this week because I was talking to my friend Rob Antiquera, who was the first guest on the show on Twitter, 
Do you remember when we went to see Bullet in the Head and oh, God, yes. everybody fucking laughed throughout that movie? Yeah. And you and I were just steaming mad because of all the movies to be laughing about Bullet in the Head. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, you know, Bullet in the Head is is John Woo's easily his hardest hitting. I, I think I think Rob called it like boxed cinematic sadness or something like that. Like it's just uh, it's it it's, is so it, it is so heavy. Like you need to take a wheelbarrow in with you if you're going to watch that movie. It is so heavy. Yeah. And and to have all these people laughing at it and stuff. I remember you and I. Because you you know you mentioned it when when you said you you first saw Rumble Rumble in the Bronx and you're kind of like well this is a little bit you know this is a little bit cheesy but it's cool certainly that that Hong Kong style of filmmaking that overwrought melodrama and and just the weird tonal shifts and stuff like that um, if you're not used to that I can kind of get how it can make people uncomfortable but you know the thing with Bullet in the Head is is you can still tell that movie's not meant to be funny. Like, that's not a movie that you're supposed to be... This isn't the Rocky Horror Picture Show or even something like Rumble in the Bronx where I could understand. You know, like, when we went and saw Drunken Master at midnight, lots of people were laughing at that, but Drunken Master's a funny movie. It's a comedy. It's fine. Yeah, I, I will never forget that experience in my life. So, folks listening, if you ever have the chance to go see something like Bullet in the Head in a rep theater, please, please show the appropriate respect do not be one of those hipster douchebags who goes to ironically laugh at a movie because you never know if there may be some people in that theater who truly love that movie and you're just being a dick at that point if you're doing stuff like that would you agree my friend yeah i i i was i i can honestly say though i mean i did not love that movie because it depressed the hell out of me i have not seen it since but i do remember those people in that theater and i First of all, I just couldn't like what what can you possibly find funny about this movie? But uh, oh, that was not a great experience. No, no, it wasn't. Um, and, and you know what? Again, not to go too far down, but I one of the other ones that I know that we found together was the Chow Yun Fat Classic Flaming Brothers, which is just <laughs> awesome. And uh, I also introduced you to. One that I've talked about fairly frequently because it's directed by Stephen Tung and folks listening to this, if you listen to my Extreme Challenge episode, I go on quite at length about this movie. But the Jackie Chung, Stephen Tung starring Pom Pom and Hot Hot, which <laughs> I still contend has the greatest third act arguably ever in cinema history it is two-thirds borderline unwatchable movie and a third that is just absolutely unbelievably incredible and we had my wife and i had uh, they've since passed but we had well we had a lot of cats but we had two cats that were brothers from the same litter and i nicknamed them pom pom and hot hot <laughs> in honor of said movie <laughs> So, point being, you know, we go back a long way when it comes to action. I kind of want to also ask you, as I do everybody else, what's your history with Scott Adkins? Because, you know, you and I now live in very different states and have for 
well over 10 years now. So I can't, I don't have the sneaker net hookup to you that I used to, but I know I've talked to you about him before. And obviously you're familiar with him because I wouldn't, you wouldn't be on the show otherwise. But what's the first Scott Adkins movie that you really remember seeing? Well, there's the the first Scott Adkins movie I remember seeing where I knew who he was versus just Scott Adkins movies that I had seen that I had no idea who he was. <laughs> so, I mean, the the first one, you know, when you talk to me about him, again, as, as these tend to be, you kind of enlighten me on these things. Uh, it was had to be undisputed, too. Um, and, and Boyka, I mean, that's, that's where I know him first from. And then, you know, looking at his filmology, I'm like, oh, I saw that film. I saw that film. I saw that film, but I just, you know, didn't know who he was. And, um, you know, since then, every time I, I'm well aware of when he has a new movie come out because, uh, I talk to you and you tell me and, uh, let it be known. So make the wife sit down. Cause she will, uh, she has no problem watching Scott Atkins, uh, and we'll watch it. But, uh, it was, it's definitely undisputed too. It was definitely the first one I watched and knew who he was. I mean, obviously he's got kind of a big role. So, well, and that, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, and that's, I mean, literally, I think four out of my five guests, that's kind of the first, that's the movie that they remember too so far, because and, you know, and that's the one for me. I'm like you. I I had seen Black Mass 2. I had seen The Medallion that we're going to talk about now. I'd even seen, I well, I guess I hadn't seen Special Forces, but I had seen some other stuff. Obviously, I had seen ones that are coming down the pipeline, like X-Men Origins, you know, Wolverine and, and some, some other movies. But it wasn't really, it was really just, yeah. Undisputed 2 is when he was an actor that, all of a sudden became somebody that I needed to pay attention to. And, and so I think that's, that's fairly common. Have you, have you talked to anybody yet? That's like, Oh, I I remember him from EastEnders. I have yet to find somebody that remembers him from EastEnders. (laughs) I have, I have, and you know what? (laughs) I'm not sure that I will, uh, necessarily because I, uh, listeners will, will know at some point you'll hear this, that, that even Scott does not believe that his performance in EastEnders was particularly memorable. So I'm, I just being, being a fan of British uh, TV and, and British pop culture, I, I just love that he was on EastEnders. Cause that is just, I mean, you're not anybody until you've been on EastEnders. I mean, that's the thing, right? That show's friggin' huge. I'm not sure that we have a Certainly in the realm of soap operas, I'm not sure that we have a U.S. equivalent. I guess back in the day, the height of Dallas, that might have been, you know, sort of a U.S. equivalent. But EastEnders... But that, was, that was weekly, though. I mean, yeah. EastEnders is a soap opera. I mean, it, it's kind of like General Hospital or All My Children, but this show has been on literally forever. And never it ceases to become close to not being popular. No, and I mean, at the height of its numbers, it was pulling in Friends or Seinfeld-level viewership. I mean, it was pulling in 20 million viewers every single episode. It's mind-blowing. Like, and, and, you know, and that's kind of a big thing. I mean, that's something that Scott admits is that big of a show, you know, there's... 
and again, listeners, you can hear it, but just, just in case you've missed it, you know, he was talking about the, his first day on set, he's like stopping at the gas station and all the papers, everything on the cover of all the papers is EastEnders, 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 EastEnders. And so it's like it, you know, that shit's going to get in your head eventually after a while. I, I couldn't imagine that you're, you're an up and coming actor and you appear on a show like that. Like it's, it's crazy, but yeah, it's that and Holby city are kind of the two that are just, cause Holby City's another one that's just been on forever and is just a huge British show. And, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy, but here in the U S I mean, I only really know of EastEnders because of Martine McCuchin from Love Actually, because when I saw that movie, like a lot of people, <laughs> I developed an Insta crush on her and was looking, you know, at what she had done and stuff and realized that she was a big, fairly long running character on EastEnders. And I was like, what is this EastEnders show? And so then I did research, but you know, it's not readily available here to see in the U.S. You pretty much, you can see it on BBC iPlayer, but that requires you to know how to avoid geo-blocking, which I talked about before. But it's it's not readily available here in the U.S. And so it is one of these things where it's like, there's this mega cultural phenomenon that we know out almost nothing about. Yeah, well, he's on Doctors too. Yep. Which is another just huge, I, which is weird because, you know, I had, I guess I'd, I'd heard him speak. He's very good with accents first. Let me say that, you know, having seen him work in, in several movies now, uh, I guess I had never heard the true Scott Adkins voice until I heard, you know, the, you sent me the clip that you were going to use for him describing his time on the medallion. And I, I would have sworn it was Ringo Starr speaking. I mean, he is so British um, that uh, it, that it, it, it kind of shocked me because he has never used that voice that I can remember, um, certainly <laughs> in his movies, but good for him. He's, he's very talented. I mean, beyond just being so great at, you know, being a martial artist, he is legit an actor. I mean... I know you love Jean-Claude Van Damme, but, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme's never going to knock me over with acting. I'm sorry. But <laughs> Scott Atkins is a really good actor as well, which is great. Well, and like I said, like I've said before, that's always been kind of one of my theses on these is, you know, he went to Weber Douglas. He started in things like Doctors, and and he actually joked with me that he gets to use Doctors takes place in Birmingham, where he's from, and so he actually got to use his actual Birmingham accent um, <laughs> in that. But he considers himself an actor first and foremost, and I think that shows. He's not, and I've said this before, you know, I think Van Damme's pretty terrific now, but he's clearly a guy who broke in as an action star and had to learn how to act. Or you compare him to somebody like Steven Seagal, who never even bothered <laughs> to learn how to act. You know, I I consider him more along the lines of uh, Michael J. White is very similar because he was an actor first. You know, I've said this before. The first thing I saw him in was Tyson, the, the HBO movie. He came in as an actor first. And, and, and Michael J. White, you know, he's done Tyler Perry movies. He's done all this stuff. And I think that's what really sets the two of them apart from a lot of their contemporaries is because they are talented actors. And it shows. And uh, 
at least it shows when they get to show it off, which I think it would be fair to say he doesn't really get to show off in the medallion. <laughs> no, he's, <laughs> he's definitely not flexing that actor muscle that much in the medallion. No. Um, all right. So before we actually dig into the medallion, is there anything else about your history with action movies or or Jackie Chan movies that you want to talk about? I, I, I did want to say I The Foreigner. You know, the last Jackie movie that I that I, I he might have come out with more, but that's the last one I remember. I really enjoyed. And and one of the things when it comes to action movies with me is I love gritty action. I love violent, like gritty action. And that was, you know, there was no Jackie comedy while he's fighting or or anything like that. It was it was kind of more of a, a Liam Meeson-esque you know, film, but it was a Jackie movie and I really enjoyed it. It was, it, it was the Jackie movie I've enjoyed the most in probably the last seven or eight years. The other one that I have to admit, I kind of enjoyed is I kind of liked dragon blade. If you haven't seen that one, but that's mostly because Adrian Brody is just doing something in that movie. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I have to admit, I also had a bit of a soft spot for Jeff. I don't know if you've seen Chinese Zodiac, the third Armor of God movie, but that one has some, I think, pretty fun, classic Jackie Chan fights in it that I think people should certainly uh, check out. I will admit, I have actually mi- I missed The Foreigner. So you're going to give me I this is blasphemy for this show since I pride myself on being, you know, the most well-researched action uh, podcaster out there, <laughs> but I did not see The Foreigner, so I'll have to uh, I do remember some specifically talking to you and telling you what a great movie it was. So that is, I'm afraid you're, you're I'm going to have to put a, a hole in your action card at least, or put a hold on it and uh, you see that. There's only so many hours in the day, my friend. You know what one I definitely cannot recommend of recent Jackie ones is uh, uh, is uh, Skip Trace. As much as I oh love Johnny God. Knoxville. I love Johnny Knoxville, too. But yeah, that was awful. That one yes. was I cannot I cannot in good conscience recommend that one. But I, 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 I will. I, I would like to just mention, I think, you know, a. Police Story, for me, might be my favorite Jackie movie. I love that one. That was one of the first ones that you gave me. And the stunts in that, I, I just revisited it maybe two or three weeks ago. And I just love, um, I love the the car chase down through the village on the hillside. And I love him hanging off of the, the, the bus with the umbrella uh, it's just so good, and and at the end in the mall where he's sliding down the the pole or the the elevator, whatever it was, through all the lights and stuff. I love Police Story and Police Story Two for that matter. Those are those are some good ones for me. Yeah, I actually think that all of the original Police Stories, so Police Story, Police Story Two, and Super Cop, I think are all just just terrific. Oh, Super Cop, yeah, yeah, that would be on that list too. All right, well, let's let's talk a little bit about The Medallion. So as mentioned in my intro, 2003 movie. You've heard what Scott had to say about his time on it. Uh, you heard my background talking about Gordon Chan. Jeff, as you know, we don't really go plot by plot point because that just bogs us down and gets kind of boring. But 
just give me quickly before we dial in a little bit more uh, your overall thoughts. First of all, when did you first see the medallion? What did you think then? And I know you rewatched it for this. Has your opinion changed any? So this came out in 2003. I, I clearly saw it. I, I didn't see it in the theater. I, I, I saw it. This was probably around the time when Blockbuster, you know, you could uh, pay a monthly fee and, and rent as many movies as you wanted throughout the month. And uh, I'm sure I did that. I, I saw this probably around 2004. And to me, it was it was a Jackie movie of the time. I mean, it, you and I talked before this about the tuxedo, which actually was filmed around this movie. And I, I mentioned that it's essentially the same movie. It was just a formula, I think, that that, you know, Jackie had to work with or people demanded Jackie work with at this point to make movies here in the U.S. Because it, I, I think this movie didn't do great in the in the box office. I don't think the tuxedo did much better. But, you know, I, I'm sure it made its money back. And it was, you know, I, I don't think the, the typical U.S. audience is ready for a typical Hong Kong Jackie film. Uh, I know this was one of the first movies where he used wires in it. And I, I wanted to mention that because it distracted me at some points because it was so obvious and really kind of unnecessary. I thought there's a there's a foot chase where Jackie's chasing uh, Snakehead's right hand man through the city and they're they're hurtling things as they're running. And they're clearly on a wire, but there is absolutely no need to be on one. It's like, you know, there's like a two foot planter in front of them. And instead of just running and jumping over it, they 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 both run. And it's like, you know, they're doing hurdles or something. And it, it just was really distracting. And I wasn't sure why that decision was made, but it really took me out of some of the action. But I I did enjoy this movie more watching it earlier this week than I did the first time. And I think it's probably just because I, I, I appreciate Jackie more and more as as I go along. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the worst Jackie movie, but it was certainly not anywhere near something I would want to watch again unless I was going to be on a podcast discussing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's actually funny that you mentioned that there's uh, uh a Roger Ebert quote where he says, I would not want to see it twice, but I liked seeing it once. And I almost <laughs> feel like that's maybe the perfect encapsulation of this era. I'm with you. I saw it probably 2004. I didn't like it at all because at that point we're only, you know, rumble in the Bronx comes out in the U S in 1996. We're only seven years removed from rumble in the Bronx. Now, what a lot of people don't realize, especially if they're younger, is that Jackie had been working for 25 years before he had his break in the U.S. So unfortunately, his break in the U.S. comes when he's already sort of at the tail end. I don't want to say the tail end of his career because he's continued to work for another 25 years, but he's certainly at the tail end of his peak physical abilities. And I think you're right. I think that's where some of the weird wire work comes in. Now, you know, the end... When they've got superpowers, obviously that's going to be all wire work, and that didn't bother me. But you called out the one scene that I really noticed it too, which was that foot chase, which felt like it should have been a very classic Jackie Chan foot chase. 
but there would just appear, and I don't want to say there definitely was because I wasn't on set, but there certainly appeared to be a lot of wire work in that foot chase. Like, kind of just like they weren't quite, Jackie just didn't quite have it as much as he used to. And that's where I really noticed it in this movie. The one thing I will say for me as far as the action scenes go is they certainly still have the Jackie Chan stunt team ingenuity. Uh, In particular, I think the first two sort of shootouts are really ingeniously put together where he's, you know, the first one where he's kind of in the tunnels and then the second one where he's on the docks. There's one that I just was just such a Jackie Chan creative because I most people choreographing a gunfight wouldn't even think of this. It's the second one where they're on the docks. He and a bad guy point their guns at each other, John Woo style, and Jackie just quickly flicks his wrist and turns his gun 90 degrees and shoots the other guy's gun out of his hand. Like, and it was just, it's a, you know, you know, we've talked about, and I've talked about on the show before, the little shit that Jackie does like that is, is the stuff that I love. Like, you remember working with me, for those who don't know folks, and you don't really need to care, but Jeff and I used to work in a luggage store, and we, one of the things we did was sell briefcases, and you remember after I watched Dragons Forever, where he plays the lawyer, and he does that triple flip with his briefcase and catches it by the hand, and I sat there in the <laughs> store for hours just practicing that with one of the briefcases that ostensibly we were supposed to be trying to sell. Uh, and that's the shit that I always love that Jackie does. So I, one of the things I do like about the action scenes in this is it still has that ingenuity. It doesn't have the execution that it used to, but I do think it still has that ingenuity. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and especially that shootout on the docks, I remember some things that, I remember at some point he pulled two other, he's a policeman, and you know he pulled two other policemen up like by their vests or something on the top of a, on the top of a shipping container. And, you know, there was definitely some, some Jackie influenced action there. I mean, uh, I know Sammo Hung was involved in this and, and he obviously was involved in, in some of this stuff as well. But yeah, I mean, there was stuff in this film that was obviously more Western slanted, but there were those kind of glimpse of, uh, flashes of, you know, what used to be and how great it was. And it was nice. I I agree. It was nice. There were some times here where, where it really made me remember, you know, some, some things from past movies and that, you know, I mentioned that I went and and rewatched police story again recently. It was when you talked about having me come on to talk about this. I went back and remembered, uh, I want to go watch one of the Jackie films that I really, really liked first. So yeah, it was good to, good to, good to see some of that. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons that I have more affinity for this movie now than I did in 2003, 2004. I mentioned this last week when I was talking to Kenny B about Extreme Challenge and how that movie was just blasted when it came out. Because, well, when it came out in 2001, it it was seemed like a really shitty Hong Kong movie. Well, now we know that it was kind of like the last gasp of the Hong Kong film industry before it was completely, you know, subsumed by the mainland, uh, blockbuster factory that, that mainland Chinese filmmaking has become. Now, this is kind of the same thing 
when I saw this in 2003, I'm thinking, well, this ain't Rumble in the Bronx. This is just, you know, Jackie Light. And now I kind of look back at it with, like, more affection because it's like, well, yeah, but he hasn't gotten, his movies haven't gotten better than this for the most part. There's occasionally a good one or two. You know, I'm very excited. I think his new one, Vanguard, looks pretty cool. Like I said, I liked Chinese Zodiac. The Railroad Tigers is pretty fun, but they haven't gotten any better. And so this looks kind of, I just, I don't have it in me to stay mad at a movie like this now, because not to mention we're, Jackie's not a young man anymore. He was, he was, you know, he's born in, uh, 1958. I think he, 1954 is when he was born. So, I mean, we're not going to get that many more Jackie Chan movies. So I'm not going to be mad about the medallion anymore. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I'm going to find the stuff in it. That's going to keep me entertained. And I'll admit this time I was entertained. I, uh, it's not like you said, and folks, we always do recommendations at the end of this or clearly not going to recommend this as top tier Jackie. I mean, there's just, it's just not, there's, there's no way around it. It's not top tier Jackie, but I, I, it's, uh, it's an hour and 28 minutes. I've watched worse. I've, I've spent an hour and 28 minutes doing worse things than watching this movie. And if you, uh, you know, if you watched this when it came out and you were around our age, you know, Claire Forlani, if you're going to watch something for an hour and a half is not a bad addition. I, I thought this, along with the the tuxedo where Jennifer Love Hewitt is, is in that. I mean, at this point in in the two thousand early two thousands, those were two high points for me as well. So, um, what I was twenty uh, something, thirty uh, something at that point, that was uh, another bonus for for uh, for young Jeff. Well, I want to come back to Claire Forlani because I actually do have quite a bit to say about her in this movie. But the other thing about this movie that I had totally forgotten is not, you know, to spend too much time sounding like we're thirsty, but this <laughs> this movie was a big thirst trap. I'm not going to lie because I want to talk about Christy Chung. I was good. Point. That's exactly what I was going to say is because you know who else is in it? Christy fucking Chung. Like... <laughs> goddess amongst goddesses arguably one of the most beautiful actresses who's ever lived uh fell head over heels in love with her when she was in bodyguard from beijing aka the defender and i had totally forgotten she was in this so when she showed up i was just like oh be still my beating heart christy chung i miss you i miss you so much so yeah, there's there's no question. There's this movie's quite the thirst trap. Even now, it's quite the thirst trap. Uh, yeah, well, and you know, Christy Chung and, and you mentioned Bodyguard from Beijing, which is one of my favorite uh, movies. I love that movie, and I it wasn't until I was kind of you know getting ready for this that I had no idea that Gordon Chan wrote the screenplay for that. So I was I was kind of blown away by that. Yeah, Gordon Chan's legit. I mean, Gordon Chan, you know, directed, as as people heard during my intro, you know, he directed Fist of Legend, uh, arguably my favorite Jet Li movie, one of what I think is kind of the top five martial arts movies of all time. He wrote the script for Bodyguard from Beijing. He directed a Anthony Wong movie that is just killer called Beast Cops. 
uh, Gordon Chan's pretty great, and he has made the transition to that sort of mega budget mainland China filmmaking process pretty well. He directed a series, uh, a superhero series called The Four. That isn't. It's not great, but it's certainly pretty and interesting to to look at, and it's got some good stuff in it. I, I have a soft spot for Gordon Chan. He wrote several other Jackie Chan movies too. He wrote Thunderbolt. Um, he's written for listeners uh, listening to last week's episode. Uh, he's written two of the definitive Michael Wong movies: First Option and Final Option. Um, so I, I like Gordon Chan, and and yeah, I mean it's. He wrote Bodyguard from Beijing, which is great. And uh, so one of the things I wanted to say about Claire Forlani in this is even going all the way back to police story, and there are exceptions to every rule, certainly Michelle Yeoh and Supercop. And I would even argue that that Bridget Lin and, and uh, Maggie Chung in uh, Police Story are exceptions. But you think of the Armor of God movies or some of his others. The 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 female characters in Jackie Chan movies have traditionally not been particularly strong. Uh, they very often have been, especially as his movies have gone on, uncomfortably younger than him, and <laughs> and have been there to essentially just be kind of eye candy. And I will say that I actually think Claire Forlani gets, she gets a decent character in this. She gets a decent role in this. I mean, she's still clearly the, the secondary lead. She's there to swoon over Jackie for the whole movie. They're an estranged couple. She's there to swoon over him. Uh, but I think she gets a little bit more to do. She's got a really nice scene where, She's taking care of Jai, the the kid who's the MacGuffin for the whole movie. She's taking care of him, and she's making him toasted peanut butter and, and jelly sandwiches. And they have a really nice chemistry and a really nice interaction. And uh, it's just, it's a really nice scene. And it's it's not, I mean, it hinges around Jackie because he shows up at the end of the scene and stuff. But it's also just a nice scene between the two of them. I also think she's got some actual chemistry with Jackie. There's so many times with female characters in Jackie movies where I feel like he's almost um, annoyed, not annoyed, but that he, he just doesn't really have any chemistry with them or, or really any real decent interaction with them. Again, Michelle Yeoh and super cop is always going to be the exception to all of that. Uh, but I feel like they've got some nice chemistry here. I kind of, I don't really ever think of Jackie as a romantic leading man very much, but I thought they had a nice little romance and some nice little chemistry in this movie. What did you think? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I never, I, I didn't really notice it. I mean, I, I am, I've told you before, I feel like I'm a, I'm a fish when it comes to these kind of movies and I don't notice those kind of things. Uh, also, as I said, I'm still smitten with Claire Forlani, Forlani so I was kind of just focused on her, <laughs> but uh, I, I do 1000% agree with you. Um, one about the uncomfortableness of usually the age difference between him and any sort of female character. But yeah, they're, they're not really, there's, there's not a whole lot of story for them, but I, I, that does just remind me of how great Michelle Yeoh is when, when she's one in anything, but uh 
I, I guess I just, I never really noticed it. That That's my bad. <laughs> no, you're fine because I think it is typically a thing that I, I just, as much as we love Jackie, he by and large does not do right by his female co-stars. I, I don't think I'm saying anything particularly controversial there. Now I'm sure that I'm going to have plenty of people on the uh, Twitter.com tell me that I'm saying something controversial by saying that. But I don't think he typically does right by his female co-stars. And uh, I actually feel like Claire Forlani, look, this isn't a great role for her. It's 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 not meet Joe Black for her. It's not the the recurring arc that she had on Hawaii Five or uh, a Hawaii Five O or NCIS LA, you know, because she's she's moved to TV for most of her stuff now. But I think compared to a lot of the uh, female leads in Jackie movies, she gets more to work with and she delivers. I think she does a good job. She gives a good performance in this movie. I I, I know some people don't necessarily like her all that much. I think she's solid in this. I think she, she's got a really, uh, it's short, but and there's obviously a lot of doubling in it. But she's got a pretty good fight with Nikki Berwick at the end of the movie. Uh, for those who don't know, Nikki Berwick is a stunt woman who was on the Jackie Chan action team. She was also in last week's Extreme Challenge. Uh, they've got a pretty good fight in this. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think that was my most pleasant surprise rewatching it this time was how much I liked Claire Forlani in this. And how much better I thought she was treated than a lot of, or, or not treated, but how much better the story treated her than a lot of Jackie's uh, female co-stars. Well, I, I wanted to I wanted to bring uh, something up about co-stars here, and a couple of guys that had one had a pretty big role in this movie, and another that didn't have such a big role, but. They play big roles in other movies of which I am very familiar with. And that's, first of all, Lee Evans, who for me will always just be the the guy from Something About Mary that plays kind of the bumbling, um, I don't know, what he, is he an inspector or whoever he is here? But um, I, yeah, he's, I, he's, I, an, he's an Interpol agent here. I had completely forgotten that he was in this movie. Arthur Watson. They're like, we just we just need a really generic British name. And Arthur Watson was there. And then and then there's John Rice Davies, who for me is, you know, I, I just see him as Indiana Jones. Uh, like he wasn't really a sidekick as as he was a, a, a featured Ex, not an extra, but a featured, yeah, he's, <laughs> a he's featured player. Yeah, Sala, and you know, for those who don't know, he's also Gimli, son of Gloin from the Lord of the Rings movies, as well as he does double duty in those because he's the voice of Treebeard, the leader of the Ents, as well. I mean, John Rice Davies. Uh, do not Google his political beliefs, but John Rice Davies <laughs> is an acting national treasure, and it is interesting that he just pops up in here for what he's got maybe three scenes. But that voice is so unmistakable that it's always nice, you know, when he pops up in a movie. Yeah, I get I get excited when I see people from other movies that I like in a movie that I just completely neither of those guys would I have expected to show up in a Jackie Chan movie. So made me made me happy. Well, and the other one that I noticed that 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 amused me this time that I would not have necessarily caught. And I doubt that that you did either. 
is uh, two of Jackie's protégés, two two of the actors that he sort of nurtured and and brought into the Hong Kong system. Uh, Gen X cops Nicholas C and Gen Y cops Edison Chan both have very brief cameos as waiters. There's a scene where Jackie's at a cafe and they have cameos as waiters, uh, which just amused me to no end because I there's no way into I knew who Nicholas C was in 2003 because I ride or die for Gen X cops. But I uh, I would not have known who Edison Chen was, and I don't know that I would have actually noticed Nicholas C. when I first saw this. But that dreamy, dreamy head of hair of his was unmistakable to me this time. So I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was amusing because for those who don't know, Jackie produced both the Gen movies and he kind of introduced them to the the world. Both of them going on to become Hong Kong megastars. Nicholas C is arguably still a Hong Kong megastar. Edison Chen, unfortunately, had a... uh, This isn't a gossip podcast by any means, but it's also not a secret. He uh, had a sex video scandal around 2008 and more or less had to uh, step back from the Hong Kong film industry until just a few years ago. But at the time, both of them were mega stars over in China. So I, that, that made me chuckle. Hey, so next time you talk to Scott, I'm just like, I got a question for him. The outfit is his costume here. To me, it reeked of uh, kind of a leftover from Caster Troy from face off. Any thoughts on that? I actually do think that his, uh, his outfits pretty baller in this, that red jacket that he's rocking is <laughs> I don't know about the finger claw as much, but I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I think that red jacket's pretty baller, which is actually a perfect segue. Let's, let's talk about the man, the, the namesake of the podcast. Obviously it's not a big role for him. What would we call him? Featured henchman. That's I mean, what I call him. Yeah. Featured yeah. Henchman. Featured henchman. <laughs> I think he cuts a pretty impressive presence. I mean, Jackie cuts through a lot of guys in this movie. He beats down a lot of guys. And and maybe I'm biased. Well, let's be honest. I'm completely biased. But of all the henchmen that he beats down, I feel like Adkins cuts a fairly impressive presence. You know, that red jacket's very memorable. Obviously, his fighting skills, as always, are memorable. What did you think of his role in this? Yeah, I mean, I, I was I think it's 35 minutes in until I saw him the first time. He might be in there before that, but. Yeah, I mean, and obviously I was looking for him specifically when I rewatched this. But yeah, he's got to fight him a couple of times. And, you know, according to according to Scott himself, it sounded to me like they were it it was almost like a competition between these featured, you know, these henchmen as to who was going to be the big baddie at the end. And it sounds like he he ended up impressing them enough. That was a great story he told about. You know, Samo wanting him to really put some oomph behind the kick, but Jackie's crew saying, hey, you know, don't hurt our guy. And he was able on the second take to to hit it perfectly. I thought that was just that was a great story. Those, those are the kind of stories that I love to hear. Those are the kind of stories I like to tell in my podcast when we talk to former players are are, are those things that you will never know unless you talk to somebody that was there. 
And uh, that was a great story. I, I, I enjoyed that. And it sounded like, you know, this was this was a, a big opportunity for him and he he nailed it. That was that was really cool. Well, and can you just imagine? I mean, folks listening, you know, as you know, because I've talked about it, Jackie and Samo, along with, you know, Corey Yun and Yun Bao, they all went through the, the Peking Opera together. So Samo and Jackie have known each other, you know, more or less since they were fetuses. And like, so clearly Samo doesn't give a shit about Jackie. Like, he's not going to be like, don't hurt, don't hurt Jackie. So he's yelling more power. And, and, you know, and you've got Jackie's people. And just imagine being in that position where it's like, you've got just these two megastars, like the foundations the Mount two of the Mount Rushmore of the Hong Kong film industry <laughs> kind of telling you two different things. Uh, it's I would have crumbled. I'm not going to lie. I'm not ashamed to say I would have I would have peed myself and then I would have run away and uh, probably jumped into I guess they were filming in Thailand, jumped into the Thai Harbor and, you know, the Bangkok Harbor and uh, drowned myself. So. Uh, because I just can't imagine that kind of pressure, but I, it, it shows it, it, it plays out. And I mean, you've got, like I said, I think he cuts an impressive presence here and there's no question that more things start happening for him because I got to think if you got Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung saying that you're a professional and you can be counted on to do what's asked of you, that's probably going to carry quite a bit of weight with the next filmmaker that is interested in hiring you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I mean, especially in the, you know, the genre that he is, uh, he's involved with. That's, that's a great pedigree to have those kind of guys sticking up for you and, and, and vouching. That being said, for Adkins fans, we're talking two fights and uh, crashing through a window is basically the extent of it. <laughs> uh, so this is not one that I would necessarily recommend, you know, we'll talk full recommendations later, but I think it's an important movie if you've heard his thoughts on it and you have interest in him, you know, sort of a holistic view of his career. It's clearly a pivotal movie in his career, but it's certainly not one that you're going to be watching it just for him unless you happen to run a podcast called Adkins Undisputed, in which case you kind of have to watch all these things just for him. Um, but all right, well. We've been going on for almost an hour now, Jeff, so we'll start winding down here. Any other things, any other high points or particular low points about the medallion that you want to talk about? Um, you know, not not really. Uh, as as somebody that has been, you know, a friend, a good friend, a best friend to you for a while, I know you you uh, you you say this a lot, and it's one of the things that you've taught me that I use in my life every single day is, is that if you like something and it's not hurting anybody good on you, go for it. The, you know, this is a movie. If you like it, great. Uh, I'm going to probably not watch it again. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, the only other thing I want to, I, I would like to say is I, I heard you uh, in an episode or, or two prior uh, talking about your love for double team and apologizing for it, and that is wrong because Double Team is a great movie. Uh, it also obviously reminds me of another Jackie movie, Twin Dragons, which I also like. So uh, if you like it, Mike, don't 
don't ever be ashamed to admit it. And I never am. And uh, and I'm glad you brought up Twin Dragons because that is also, you know, that is a... I might have to do a bonus episode on Twin Dragons just because that movie is is just so crazy how that all came together. For folks who don't know, I don't want to go too far off the rails here, but Jackie plays twins and it's directed by... Ringo Lamb and Choi Hawk. It it's got all these different people in it. It's it's really a, a fascinating Hong Kong movie. Uh, I don't have time to get into it, but thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> That'll give us a chance to just recommend that. And and I am going to ask you in a minute a few more to recommend a few more Jackie Chan movies for for people that you like. All right, so Jeff, we've kind of recommended actually. Just in conversation, we've kind of recommended quite a few movies. We talked about, you know, Police Story and, and, and all of those. We recommended, highly recommended, Bodyguard from Beijing. I've talked about the Gen X Cops movies. Any other Jackie Chan movies or just Hong Kong movies that, that you feel like you you want people to make sure they check out? You know, when we when we kind of started this, we made perfectly clear that I am, I am not an, a movie guy. Uh, you have some great guests on. I've listened to your past episodes and they all wax eloquent about these movies and, and their memories and, and all of the ones that they've seen. And I have a hard time remembering what I've seen in the last month. So I'm not going to be breaking any ground here. This is I'm not going to be recommending any movies that I'm I'm guessing anybody that's listening to this podcast hasn't seen or heard of. You know, when it comes to Jackie movies, also, it's it's pretty much things that you have recommended. I mean, Drunken Master is is I, I'm not one for period pieces, as you are very well aware of, but I enjoyed that one. Uh, Police Story, I mentioned those. I, I really enjoyed those. Police Story 2, obviously, that as well. Super Cop. What was uh, First Strike and Who Am I? Two of his, I, I, I would call those uh, more recent movies, but those are 20 years old at this point. Uh, but I enjoyed those. You know, I you you really turned me on to John Woo movies, and those are are some of my favorites. The Killer is, you know, up there. A Better Tomorrow, A Better Tomorrow Two, all those stuff. I I am I am at the lowest rung of appreciation for for Hong Kong action in terms of being able to speak about it eloquently. So I won't I won't pretend to know any more than that. But I, I love those and Bodyguard from Beijing. Just let me say, I I remember watching that i think i watched it with you the very first time and i i loved that that was that was great i'm gonna have to go revisit that i think we actually watched that it was on fox on a sunday afternoon in the crap dubbed miramax version the defender complete with commercials and you got kind of hooked watching it and so we watched it and then i was like all right bruh I got to go like show you how this movie's at. So I actually had the DVD <laughs> and I feel like maybe even that night we finished watching it and then we watched it again with the subtitles and the uncut version and, and stuff like that. Um, you mentioned who am I? I want to second that one folks. That's a little bit of an off the beaten path. Jackie one. Uh, it has one of what I think is one of his most amazing stunts where he slides down oh, the side yeah. of a building it's also directed, if you listen to last week's episode, it's directed by the great Benny Chan, who recently passed away. And so it's it's we're never going to get any more Benny Chan movies, so make sure to, to check that one out. I'm going to 
also recommend, I mentioned it earlier, I'm going to recommend Dragons Forever with him and Sammo Hung and, and Yoon Bao. Uh, it's the movie that made me throw briefcases across the store that I worked at for <laughs> days and days and days. Uh, and I think it's I think it's one of his best ones. We've recommended a lot of movies. I will say, Jeff, you know, you said that you're not qualified to wax eloquent like some of my other guests. I will also say, dude, you've seen Pom Pom and Hot Hot and Flaming Brothers. That ain't that ain't nothing. Like 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 that ain't nothing. You you are not you are not. Yes, you don't necessarily eat, drink, and breathe this stuff like we do because too much of your oxygen's taken up by baseball. But uh, you know your stuff, and you've seen the good stuff. So I. Uh, I hope you realize that there's a reason I asked you to be on this show and it, it's because I know you can hang with it. And honestly, our friendship is not to get all schmoopy, but our friendship is pivotal to my love of action movies as well. Cause getting to share them with you just made me love them that much more. And I've done that same thing with my wife now, right? Because she didn't get to grow up watching a lot of these movies. And so sharing them with people that matter to me just makes me love these movies, which is kind of why I'm doing this podcast. Not just because I love Adkins movies, but I want to share these action movies with people so that they see them and so that we make sure they never just disappear. So the last kind of thing I want to talk to you about is would we've we've talked about it a little bit, but would you recommend the medallion to people? Uh, I can't with a good conscience recommend the medallion. I'd say especially if you've seen it before, you probably don't need to revisit it. If you are following along with this uh, this great podcast of yours and you, you want to see it, I, I mean, especially I think it's great hearing Scott. I am so freaking proud that you have got Scott, you know, coming on and giving you this information about these films. I think that is just so incredible. I'm so happy for you. Uh, I, I mean, it really I had already watched it again when when you sent me that clip and it 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 really gave kind of new life to what I had just seen, you know, hearing the, the back round of it. But uh, I, I can't say that you need to run out and, and I, I don't think it's streaming anywhere for free anyway. So <laughs> you probably don't need to, to go out and, and see the medallion again. Yeah, I think, I think I'm a little more favorable to it than you. It's, it's definitely not, a high tier Jackie. It's not the worst he's ever done. Certainly, I think for Adkins completionists, I mean, well, if you're an Adkins completionist, the answer is always going to be that we're going to recommend, you know, I'm going to recommend everything because that's what being a completionist means. But I think it's worth it to watch it if you're a fan of his because it's such an important movie to him in his career. I think of the two Jackie movies that we've talked about on this show, I think it I like it less than Accidental Spy. We didn't really talk about Accidental Spy, Jeff. I don't know if you remember that one, but there's certainly nothing in this that is as good as the naked marketplace fight in Accidental Spy. I do remember that. Yes. Which is, you know, I mean, that's just top-tier Jackie Chan stuff. That's an all-time Jackie Chan scene. So I'm... I'm going to say again, kind of like I said about Extreme Challenge, if you really like Jackie or you're a fan of this era of filmmaking, sure, give it a watch. It's not one you've really got to run out and check out, though. So 
I guess I'm going to kind of say I'm not recommending it either, but I, I think there's caveats to that. But it's certainly not it's not the top tier movie that we're going to be reviewing or talking about in this series. There's no question about that. Everybody here is not doing their best work. Uh, but I do think Claire Forlani's actually really good in it. So I, I will give her credit for that. All right. Jeff Paulson, uh, plug some shit. Where can people find you? <laughs> people can find me wherever you're listening to this. I'm sure you can find our podcast. If you want, it is two strike noise. That is T W O strike noise. We're a baseball history podcast. As I said, we like to talk about odd stories, weird games. Baseball has had its share of odd individuals. Uh, sometimes we talk to former players. We get to hear great stories that uh, that are like what Scott was talking about. Things that you'll never hear about if you're just reading uh, reading a story about something or you know watching a watching an old game. Uh, we like to hear about the stuff that goes on behind the scenes uh, on the road trips and in the dugouts and in the clubhouses and stuff. You can find us also on social media on both Twitter and Instagram at uh, at two strike noise. That again is at TWO strike noise. And yeah, we're we're uh, we're a weekly podcast. We've uh, we we just recorded show number 90, which is unbelievable. So uh, if you like baseball or just like guys goof. And we also uh, open old baseball cards from uh, from the from the eighties and the nineties. And Star Wars has collectible cards. Old movies used to have collectible cards. Does are there are there Jackie Chan collectible cards? I'm sure there probably are in Hong Kong. Uh, well, at least there would have been when collectible cards were kind of a thing. So in the eighties, I'm positive, but I cannot confirm. Uh, but I'm sure there were. Oh, that that's the next podcast is we're going to search for Jackie Chan trading cards. There we go. There we go. And I will just tell people uh, you don't also just have to like baseball if you like history and interesting stories, because I am not a baseball fan, but I do like history and interesting stories. And I never don't find an episode of Two Strike Noise uh, a good, interesting listen. So uh, if you like me, please do me a solid and, and check out their podcast as well. Appreciate it. All right, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we're, hop, you know, probably going to get you back on at some point, uh, but we it won't be for at least a little while. So you can take a breather and bask in the glory of the medallion. The medallion too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I thank you again, my friend. I appreciate it. I always love talking to you about this stuff. Thank you very much for having me. I, I look forward to uh, hearing more of this uh, this podcast, and, and especially of Scott Adkins himself. That is so awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. And that will once again do it for this episode. Thank you so much to Jeff for talking the medallion. And as always, thank you to Scott Adkins for joining me on this journey and talking to me about some of his roles. And thank you to all of you who have become dedicated listeners. I have been overwhelmed by the support that you have given me on this show. And as always, I hope you got some good information and some good movie recommendations out of this. If you really, if you haven't seen Beast Cops, you got to check that one out. You can follow me at Hibachi Justice on Twitter and on Letterboxd. You can also find my work with Dana Buckler at Linktree slash Dana Buckler Show, where we talk about all sorts of movies. Almost none of them Scott Adkins related. 
You can follow the show at Adkins Podcast on Twitter and at Adkins Undisputed on Instagram. You can email me at AdkinsUndisputedPod at gmail.com. You can find all of those links at Linktree slash Adkins Undisputed, and you can hear the podcast damn near anywhere that you can hear podcasts. Next week, we dig into another formative movie in young Adkins' career, the first time he teamed up with Jesse V. Johnson. I'll be joined by Video Culture's Matt Essery to talk this early but still undeniable JVJ film, as well as the absolutely insane life of star Dominic Vandenberg. So please be sure to bring your ears, your podcast app of choice, and your fucking champion to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world.